All right, this is episode number 97 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the one and only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. I'm Corey. We bring you new episodes every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. Of course, we always cover the latest and greatest in internet marketing, tips, strategies, news, articles, whatever it is that's going on in the world of internet marketing that we think is important. We talk about it and we also take suggestions. So if you have anything that you want us to cover on the show, head over to thebeardedmarketers.com or find us on Twitter and hit get at, at us. us yeah, get with at that us. topic. All right. Before we get into the topics every week, we have to get in the mood. It's Friday for get us loose. right now. Yeah. You're, you're probably listening to this on Monday morning, but it's Friday for us. Uh, it's a celebration. Client work is all done for the week. Uh, so what are you drinking, my man, to get in the mood? It's a Buffalo Trace and some ginger beer. Quite tasty, actually. How about yourself? I'm going to my OG, right? Tell Moscow it tell it for us. Moscow Mule. Ooh, you know yeah. it. If you listen, you know it. <laughs> Gosling's, please sponsor us. They're becoming mainstream. Have we talked about this on an episode yet? Yeah, we are. This they sponsored some hipsters. golf. They sponsored a golf tournament. Oh, definitely. Gosling's in, in particular. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's all over the place. All the olds are drinking it now. Mm, nope. Especially out here in Florida, dark and stormies. It's like the official Bahamian drink or something like that. So it is apparently Northerners where they do a dash of nutmeg, which you think is a travesty. It is. <laughs> I think it's actually pretty good. What? Like all year round? a little bit round? of like sand almost it's like a, in it. It's like a holiday thing, isn't it? <laughs> you should try it. No, I, I refuse. There's three ingredients and that's all it. All right. Enough jibber jabber. Let's get into the topics. How Thank dare you, you again. Off. <laughs> so much for your time. Got a jam-packed episode. Feels good to be back in the studio. Our uh, Return to Grace episode was last week, and we're just going to keep this train moving. So on this episode, we're going to be talking about accidental ad clicks, how that impacts mobile, what you should consider when you're looking at budgets, performance. Don't cry yourself to sleep if conversion rates are a lot lower. We'll get into that. SEO practices that have changed over time, and this is going to be a what we call a self-reflection moment. We're going to talk about how some things were done in the past, and maybe you're still stuck there, and how you might need to evolve or change up some of your mentalities on how you approach SEO as times have changed. Rob's going to talk about five reasons. There's a lot more than that. Why marketers fail with data, but we're going to highlight some of the top ones and probably give some anecdotes on some hilarious fails we've seen with data. We're going to talk a little bit about, it's, and it's a great segue actually, what causes us marketers the most pain and maybe a conversation on how them bearded marketers come by, kiss your boo-boo and make it all better. And it's going to be a e-consultancy survey that we're going to go over and talk about some of the remedies or things we've seen on maybe how you can avoid them. And it would not be an episode. So we didn't check in with the people that we love to hate, the people that control all the traffic, Google, and what they're doing this week and things that we need to be kept into loop. So Rob, kick us off. Mobile, advertising on it. Is it just all a scam? Why are my conversion rates so low? I just don't even know what to do. Where to start with these? I have none of those answers, but this is a... Leave a five-star <laughs> review, please. This is a perfect time. <laughs> this is an article, or at least I got the concept for this topic from marketingland.com. They have an article on there called Google Address is fat finger ad clicks on mobile. Is um, this fat shaming? <laughs> no, this has nothing to do with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> We've lost five listeners. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, what they're trying to solve here is as I'm using my apps or I'm playing my games or whatever it is on the Android platform, which I don't do because I have an iPhone. But if I were to do this, you know, sometimes you accidentally click an ad and I didn't mean to. It get very tricky sometimes. You know, a lot of these ad platforms these days are all pay-per-click. So now this, this advertiser has paid for a click that was purely accidental and I'm immediately hitting back. So how do we potentially not only just filter those out, right? So advertisers don't have to pay for them, but let's 
let's solve it in the beginning. Let's not have those clicks go through, right? Um, so I can use my apps without jumping all around, clicking on ads. So Google has implemented three strategies here that uh, are trying to curb some of these accidental clicks on ads inside apps. The first one is that taps close to the edge of an ad won't actually be considered clicks. So normally these phones are pretty good at trying to figure out what you're trying to click on. You don't even have to get on, for example, a link. You kind of can get right. close to it. But for ads, that's not going to be the way. You kind of have to be more in the ad for sure, meaning to click on the ad. Um, so there's going to be like a border outside that's not actually clickable on Ooh. ads now. Second, for some of these interstitial ads that are putting some of their call to actions next to the exit button, those won't work anymore. You're going to have to click on main um, call to actions that aren't right next to the damn close out button. And then finally, ads will only become clickable after they've been on the screen. And then they're saying a short period of time in quotes. How long exactly is not clear, but I'm sure that has to do with things like connection speed or whatever it is. And based on a bunch of data, which Google has because they have everything about us. So those are three things. What got me thinking about this, but I've been seeing, especially on those last two and three, I've been seeing those on just desktop web all over the the place mm -hmm. lately, especially with those damn interstitial ads, which I love them. I hate them. I love them as a marketer because they work, right? Right. Uh, those entry modal things, throwing mm -hmm. ads in people's faces, trying to capture email addresses. Those work really well. But as a user, damn, I'm sick of seeing those Get things everywhere. Face. And oftentimes what you see is, is in, and this is what they sort of hint at here, which is that you get to a website and you start clicking and then these modals come in and hijack your clicks away right. because they, they didn't show for long enough or they mm -hmm. didn't even have a chance to load. And I'm not even sure what I accidentally just clicked on. Right. Um, so Google's trying to solve some of this stuff on the mobile. I think as marketers, we got to figure out some of this stuff, how to hedge that off on our mm -hmm. own websites, on the desktop and on not mobile apps, but also the mobile web, because this is an issue that's been around for a long time. And I just mentioned that specific one, but this is going to harken back to some of my darker days. We always uh, like going to DeLorean 88 uh, miles an hour. We're heading there. I used to be a publisher and the goal there was always get more ad clicks, right? Mm -hmm. So it was try to make our content or the ads look like the same damn thing. For a while there, publishers and marketers kind of got away from some of that stuff, to be honest. And now everything's an ad. I don't know what's an ad anymore. For mobile ads, Google has some slick options on how to fix this. How do we fix this everywhere else? How do we as marketers who are trying to buy effective ads, make sure that we're not buying ads that people are accidentally clicking on all over the damn place because these publishing companies we're working with are trying to, we're both at odds here, right? I'm trying to get qualified clicks. They're trying to sell as many clicks as possible. How do we best find this in between ground? Or do you have to just sort of go with trusted networks that you only know? I only buy ads on Google, Facebook, and Twitter, and that's it, because mm -hmm. I can't deal with all this other stuff. Well, I think a couple of things, obviously. <laughs> it's one, it's a tough problem to tackle because you have a conflicting interest there in that there is a group of people that want higher quality, which would be people like us. But then you have site owners that rely on advertising dollars to operate themselves. And, you know, maybe it's really big forums or a news site or whatever it might be. And so you're going to have a strong block of users that are going to be a little bit hesitant to any of these changes because of the effects it might have on their bottom line. These small changes of like accidental clicks might make material changes to these people's bottom line, which might be short-sighted because I might be willing to actually pay more if the quality starts increasing. Because the reason why sometimes I set these budgets is because conversion rates are low and I am having to look at the ROI for some of the spend. And if we do eliminate some of this poor quality coming over, then I might be willing to actually move some more budget over and pay more for these placements. So it's kind of 
chicken before the egg type of thing. But I think as marketers as well, which is difficult, we have to get a little bit smarter than just the classic, where can I go to get the most eyes? And this aspect of quality really has to come into part of the conversation. And it is very possible that these changes will eat away at your reports where you're telling your boss, hey, we got in front of 500,000 people because they click through, those numbers might start taking a dip. But at the end of the day, if those are smarter marketing dollars and more people are actually converting as a ratio because it's an intended click, then I think it's really better for the entire ecosystem. Because one thing that sort of gets lost, which you hit it at, is just the frustration of users and the trickle down effect that that has to the entire advertising experience online. And I think we do have to find this good middle ground of balancing good user experiences and also making sure that we advertise our products in a meaningful way. So, Yeah, I think private ad placements are difficult to manage and find those Mm -hmm. deals and work those deals. They're a huge pain. But because of all of those things, right, if you manage to do it properly, it can be huge ROIs for those things. But oftentimes what you see is marketers who are looking for ways to put their ads in places like the nav bar or top banners or sidebars or things like that, where as users, we expect actual real page content to be in those locations. But the marketers are looking at this sort of short-sighted view, Mm -hmm. like, you just said there where, you know, I just want to get it in a spot where I know people are going to click on it. And if I can get the most clicks possible, that's what I'm going for, which is weird because we don't use that mentality in like any other type of advertising that we do. It's usually sure. always performance oriented, but for well, some reason, sometimes we, it's not the, the companies themselves too. They yeah. might affiliate out their marketing. So it's people buying clicks for them, or it's just paying an agency. And so this is a way for them to bulk up their numbers. So I think also companies need to be a little bit more diligent and understanding where their placements are, particularly if they're not the ones actively managing it because there is a incentive for me if I'm working for you sometimes to take non-kosher methods to potentially get more clicks and impress you with how much reach you're getting. And it takes a little bit more diligence than just sort of wiping your hands with it and letting someone else just run it for your own brand preservation. All right, moving on. All good points. What do we got next on the list? Well, I wanted to talk about some evolution of SEO over time. And I think, as I mentioned in the beginning, a self-reflection moment. And we can talk, I mean, I know you've been really entrenched in the SEO word for quite a bit. It's your bread and butter. So I wanted to talk about, this was spurred on by a Crazy Egg article actually about the evolution of some of these things and how people are really being stalwarts and hanging on to some old mentalities and how you might need to tweak your SEO strategy and how you might approach things. So let's go quickly through them. Feel free to interject some of your nuggets of knowledge, but we're going to move to this pretty quickly. So the first is just a high focus on mighty keyword is what they talk about. And this is something that I still see really really prevalent throughout the industry of people just concentrating a lot on keyword density and we got to get these high marks for just inserting keywords in as much as we can. And while that might work in some instances, it is something that we've seen in the industry change where Google is getting much better at not necessarily tying direct keywords to one another, but actually understanding what the user is trying to search for. So what we call that is search intent. And so the benefit necessarily of concentrating 
concentrating so heavily on a single keyword has a bit mitigated as Google has gotten much smarter at understanding what the information is they're exactly going after. And it might be that they return results that don't even have a high density of that exact keyword. Google, through a lot of the other signals, might be understanding, okay, well, you're searching for this. This is actually more of a modern term for that or something that's trending that shows a lot of connections to that keyword. We're actually going to show that up higher. So you need to have a little bit more of a holistic approach to it. And keywords are still good to keep a hold of and understand, but you really need to keep a understanding of what people might be searching for and the intent is behind those keywords and necessarily that exact term itself. I'm going to actually skip number two because I actually still think it's pretty important, which is obsessing over ranking. I mean, I think you still need to keep that in mind. It is important. I mean, there's a lot of studies out there. I'm sure you've all read them about what it means to be on different parts of the page. I will say, though, however, understanding ranking and reach is quite different. So I've seen a lot of companies obsess over ranking for so many terms out there, and many of them actually don't get that much traffic. And so they become hyper obsessed with always being number one for any sort of type of query that they have out there where a lot of that effort could be recycled and put into other things that actually have more meaningful impacts. So just understand that ranking is important and it constitutes a lot of clicks, but intelligently approach that sort of strategy and, and keep in mind that there's other things to be mindful of. Yeah. Two, two quick things on those. Cause I think both of those one and two are fairly, you know, well linked there. Mm-hmm. So the obsession with big keywords and the obsession with ranking well for those keywords, I think a lot of the negativity towards those two topics has come from SEO professionals themselves. Mm -hmm. especially when hired by a company who's then saying, okay, well, we want to rank for this incredibly competitive term, you know, number one or something like that. (laughs) And so SEOs have had to perpetuate this idea that that's not what's important, right? It's not necessarily trying to rank for this one keyword very highly. It's Mm -hmm. let's try to rank for the more important lower competition terms that we can maybe get some more volume on by spreading that out. And while I agree with that in concept, I think, you know, that's great. I don't want to get away from that that fact that look those high volume high competitive keywords are still where it's at if right. if you can make that happen that's huge i mean that can make a business you know like you said i, I come from that seo world and and even just recently with one of our properties we were able to get back to a number 1 or number 2 position for a pretty competitive keyword and it was the difference between this you know site making a few thousand visitors a month and a few hundred thousand visitors a mm-hmm. month those things still do make huge differences if right. you can make it work. I don't want people to sort of give up on trying to rank for those high volume ones because they can be make a huge difference in your company. All right, let's keep moving through this. So the next one that we'll talk about, I will actually stop here and spend a little bit of time is ignoring content quality. So this is something that I see with a ton of clients and just people out there where they've been approached by companies or there's been this belief that has been instilled as a culture norm to where let's just throw as much content fodder as possible at Google, because they see that our website's always changing, we're just magically going to rank better. So the quality of what's going out doesn't matter. It's just let's throw a lot of stuff at the wall and hopefully something sticks. And Google has come out multiple times and said, this is just a poor strategy. And, it, and it's actually not something that we take necessarily into account in helping your rankings. And honestly, I think it's a lot of wasted effort and it can diminish your brand's perception if a lot of the content that you're just spewing out is of low quality quality and you start to lose out on real SEO signals like social velocity and things of these nature. But also what gets bookmarked, what gets really shared around, what really can help you have some standby content by the 
these search engines is actually putting out quality content. Those like evergreen articles that are masterpieces of content that have spent a lot of time and it might've taken you weeks or months to really curate. And you're always continually going back and updating it. So again, it's, it's not about the amount that you can churn to Google and just because your site's actively updating pages, that's not a huge SEO signal. I think a lot of people have been kind of sold this myth by content farms out there or people where you can hire bloggers for cheap and they've sort of perpetuated this idea, but just don't ignore the content quality that's coming out because there are some huge issues that you can have with that, both in brand reputation and how seriously people take your content. But I think it could also hold you back from providing the real good content that could really make some large gains in the SEO front. Number four, bulk link building. Again, Google has gotten a lot smarter about this. I think there's still companies out there engaging with others where it's just getting a bunch of links everywhere. Now, again, reputation links, still very important, but going out there and just getting thousands and thousands of links, you know, really isn't that beneficial uh, anymore. And in fact, can get you in a lot of trouble depending on the tactics that you're taking. So instead of just going out there and building a huge amount of links, concentrate on getting some of those solid, maybe it's just a couple links with reputable sites. That's more where your time needs to be spent. And again, be very careful if you're going out there and engaging in some link building practices because you could get slapped by Google. And I don't know if any of you have been, but oftentimes that process can be very painful and they're not the best at customer service. So if your site does get penalized quite a bit, it might be a while before you get that restored and it can be pretty severe. The last two we're gonna talk about is just forgetting social. So there was a time period where social was seen as this redheaded stepchild of SEO. It doesn't make a big difference. It's worthless. Those should be thought of as separate entities and not to talk to one another. In fact, when the social and SEO people would meet in the hallway as they walk by, they would like sneer at each other. Or it was kind of like <laughs> sharks and the jets or whatever it is. Snaps. Mm. <laughs> Snaps? I, oh, what is that is Greece? It? No. No, it's West Side Story. West Side Story. Yeah, it was like that. They would walk down the halls and they're like, oh, you with the SEO team? Psh, get on my face. We're on the Twitter team. As social has gained in maturity and become more of an entrenched aspect of what's been used online, Google has returned to that and, and seen that as a strong signal to what is trending, what is it that users are actually seeking out for content. So it needs to be something that is brought into your SEO strategy. It's not something that you can necessarily divorce out and it needs to become part of your just regular planning for how you're going to tackle this SEO landscape. So give it another try and work really hard with your SEO, social, and even your testing teams all three together on how you craft that good experience. Which speaking of user experience, that's the last thing that we're going to talk about. As SEO matures as an industry, as search engines get much better, they are starting to take into account not just these pretty easy things to measure, which is keyword density city or links or things of that nature, but they're trying to understand from a bigger picture, what is the actual experience from the user as they come onto the site? How is your content structured? Is it easy to read? Is the site responding fast? Does it work across devices? And so as SEO has gone on to consider more of these ranking signals, you as a practitioner in a business need to understand that these have become very important. How fast is your site? How well does it work on mobile? All these user experience things are now being taken into account as a strong signal how willing Google is to essentially pitch your site as an option when someone searches on their search engine. Because at the end of the day, you are an extension of what Google is saying to this user is something that they should check out. So if you're 
your site is garbage, if it's taking forever, if it looks like trash on a mobile device that does reflect back on Google's ability to refer good sites. And so they're hedging against that. So not only do you need to concentrate on the content, your links, social, but you also need to account into some of these other aspects of the user experience because that's being brought into the fold on the SEO front. Enough on that. Let's talk about data, something that probably keeps people up at night, sweating under the sheets, crying late at night, nightmares they wake up to, those big Excel spreadsheets. So what are some of the top reasons marketers fail with using our fav- one of our favorite things? data. Well, this is an article again from marketingland.com. Shout out to them this week. They don't usually pull through for us with topics. This one is about five reasons why marketers have trouble with or fail with data. So I'm just going to do a quick rundown through these and then get some feedback from you potentially. So number one, and this is the biggest one, really, uh, we deal with this on a daily basis with all of our clients. Data is still very fragmented. Oh, yeah. So what this basically means is that let's just give an example here. So most every website out there is running Google Analytics. I, I mean, what what do you think the percentage is? 90 something plus, right? 90 is probably pretty accurate. Yeah. So let's say we're running Google Analytics. Let's say we're also running an email marketing campaign through MailChimp. Let's say we're uh, also running some testing with, say, Optimizely. Let's say we're uh, tracking some of our stuff on social media with Hootsuite or something like that. Let's say we got our own backend customer management system. Let's say we are also running something like an intercom to interact with customers. Mm-hmm. Something else to keep, keep track of surveys, maybe SurveyMonkey. We've got all these different systems, and some of them talk to each other in some small ways. But for the most part, the email marketing guys stay inside MailChimp and use those stats, right? Because right. MailChimp's got its own conversion tracking stuff. The testing guys stay inside Optimizely because, again, it's got its own conversion tracking stuff. Everything they need to know is in there. And nobody's really talking to each other outside of their own little ecosystems. And it's difficult to get these overall views of how everything is performing because we've got data and not to mention it's all different types of data and measured slightly differently among all these different tools. So that's a huge problem that a lot of marketers are still having these days. Comes in hand with, you know, marketing tech is blown up. We have all these great tools and now we have all this data, but it's kind of all over the place right now. Number two, people and skill sets are difficult to find. Look, the fact of the matter is, yeah, the fact (laughs) of the matter is guys like us, the bearded marketers, Mm -hmm. we're not out there everywhere. A lot of these things, marketing tech, like I just said, has blown up. A lot of these tools are still pretty new and people who are well-versed in them and know how to use them properly, there aren't many of them out Mm -hmm. there. And the ones that that are out there are getting paid well or getting to dictate their job situation. So for growing companies who recognize the importance of analytics and testing and and performance-driven marketing and all of these things, they're having a hard time finding really talented individuals who understand the complexity of some of these systems and and how to really get at the data and understand it. Well, I think too, this is an interesting new area for, I shouldn't say new at this point, but it's a tad different. I think a lot of people are sold on the idea with marketing that it's not so data driven, that it's, we sit in our agency like Mad Men and we come up with these cool pitches. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Sort of what's to be expected. I come up with these cool campaigns. I might do some banner creatives or change up the site. But things like statistics, those are set in really low 
hush tones. And it's not a very sexy part of the job. And, and oftentimes those skill sets don't come together. And I think that's another aspect that's tough in this industry is finding the people that are creative, that can come up with these great ideas and how to effectively communicate, but also have the skill set to analyze data and at least put up with that, but also have the tools and are equipped to come up with good analysis for what's going on. And I think that that's, you know, particularly when we're talking about people and skill set is also difficult for companies to find is that that marriage between those two. Number three, you don't actually trust your data, do you? I mean, this is an important one. You know, again, we have all these great tools, but uh, some of them are pretty complex in terms of how do you implement them. I know a lot are tag-based, but getting a tag across the entire website correctly can actually be a bit of a challenge for some larger companies. And all it takes is a few reports that you pull to be off from what you know to be true numbers Mm -hmm. to start instilling that little bit of doubt. You take these reports to higher-ups and they go, well, wait a minute, that that doesn't look right. That's not right. Now, doubt has been instilled in these programs and in what in your efforts and in the analytics packages you're using, and it just perpetuates, right? And so how do we get to the bottom of where some of these data errors are? How do we find out? It could be we missed a couple of pages mm-hmm. with the tag, or maybe it didn't fire, or maybe a code change that was on there for a week ruined everything, or we launched a test. Are we sure IT put the tags in there right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a million things that can go wrong with this data and how we're collecting it and even how we're storing and interpreting it. So you know, we have all this stuff, but how much do we really trust it? It's another problem that marketers are having out there. I think one thing there is I believe more marketers need to take the time and actually understand how the technology works to identify when those issues happen, what might be causing it and where to start. I think some of the doubt is caused because of an unknowingness of what is actually going on just from a sheer technology standpoint. Okay, I understand it's tags. I understand these terms like cookies, things like that. How does all that interact with one another? How does my platform leverage all those things? What are some of the shortcomings or issues or things that might cause some of that to behave weirdly? But also because a lot of of these types of departments I feel like in companies work very siloed. There are instances where efforts of other departments might cause you issues or reasons why that might be going on. But because people work in their own little cubicle and world, there's not a lot of crosstalk there. I think that also leads to a lot of mistrust in tools because there might be some other things going on outside of your world that you're not aware of that might be causing some of that stuff. So understand how the technology works. I'm still shocked <laughs> in today's world how many marketers don't understand the s- simple facts of how some of this stuff works. But also talk more with your colleagues colleagues and understand what they're doing and and how that might impact what your efforts are going on as well. Number four, and I'm going to sort of blend this a bit with number five, but number four is a hammer is just a hammer. Concept here is look, these tools are just tools. The data we have is just data. It's what we do with it. It's our interpretation. It's how we plan to use it, how we implement it that really matters. Again, a lot of these marketing tech solutions out there have, have tried to make a lot of these things a lot easier, right? There's some pretty slick dashboards that are there by default. Ooh, yeah. some, I mean, some bootstrap admin stuff coming yeah. in. Yeah, well, you know, so go fancy. through Google Analytics. There's some pretty decent dashboards that get you some of the basics covered, right? But when you really need to learn about some of the deeper motivations of your customers or visitors, you kind of have to take those few steps back, really think about what you're trying to track, making sure that you're tracking the appropriate things. Is this even possible? And when I do, if I do build this report, what are the caveats that I have to keep in mind coming back to that? Can we trust our data? Do I understand enough about this tool and how it operates 
to know how I can trust this data and in which ways I can use it. And then number five, which maybe I'm going to break these out again. (laughs) Data is boring. Stories are inspiring. I'm always talking about stories Mm -hmm. when we're working with data and testing because that's what really matters. How can you tell a story? How can you distill down what all this data, what all these tests, what all this performance marketing, what all these programs mean? Tell me this story. Tell me what it actually means. Try to create a thread What's the tapestry we're creating (laughs) with all of this data? Yeah, you're getting deep there, but yes. (laughs) I've been watching Um, Mad Men like you told me. (laughs) Right, exactly. How can we use this stuff to describe human behavior, the behavior of our customers and our visitors and what they expect? That's what good marketers are good at. Anybody can go in and pull some reports out of Google Analytics. It's how do you use all of these tools and all of this data to create a beautiful story that your higher-ups want to hear so they can give you those raises. (laughs) Well, and I think that that's the key right there and that a lot of the things that we talk about, I think marketers should pay attention to because it it creates in you an indisposable asset to your company. As you mentioned, with automation, with these tools evolving over time, if you are nothing more than a report regurgitator and you're not crafting these stories, you're not the one in your company that knows how these technology works. If you're not the one that that adds the creativity, things of this nature, then you're just replaceable. You're just like another cog. You're not that indisposable asset, like I mentioned. So these are the things that are critical if you want to become that all-star there, the, the one that people talk about, and you're not just kind of a face in a sea of people. You need to understand these concepts to really differentiate yourself and ultimately make you irreplaceable in the workplace. And as Rob said, demand them good salaries. You know, that's what we're about. (laughs) That's enough on data, hopefully. Let's turn our attention over to Google, our favorite people in Mountain View. Let's see what's going on over there. There is an interesting, speaking of e-consultancy, great blog post they have where the Google team has released some cross-device conversion stats. And this kind of actually goes to attribution modeling and talking about the lifecycle of customers when they touch you at different points on what devices. I'm not going to read much on it because we've already covered a lot of data in this episode anyways. We're going to tweet it out as we do with all the articles here, but definitely worth a check out. Some great information that Google is allowing insight to and what you need to potentially consider as you're looking at how your marketing channels work. How are they performing and understanding, again, that life cycle and what you maybe need to put more investment in that you didn't necessarily realize. A great report that they made available. That's going to do it for us on this episode. Thank you so much for your time. Hopefully the data wasn't too much this episode, but it is an important part of what we do. If you enjoyed yourself on this episode, we'd ask a couple things. One, share with a friend, a colleague, or a lover, as Rob would like to say. Leave us a rating on whatever channel you found us on, Stitcher, iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. Not only helps us know where the show's at, but it does help the reach and get to more people. Also, if you have an idea for the show, feel free to reach out to us on thebeardmarketers.com slash contact. You can drop your idea there or reach out to us on Twitter. And usually ideas sent in to us are covered on the very next episode. We love hearing from you all. Thank you again so much for your time. We will see you next week. Have a great rest of your day. Geo. Yeah.